Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Hello, and thank you once again for giving us a listen. This is episode number 28 of The Next Track. And today we are pleased to welcome crime novelist Peter Robinson. Now, the mystery is, why would a podcast about music and music tech have a crime novelist as a guest? Well, it should be pretty obvious in a minute or two. Peter, thanks for being with us today. Well, thanks for inviting me. Peter Robinson is a best-selling mystery author. He's known for his DCI Banks series as Detective Chief Inspector in Britspeak. You're up to the 23rd novel in the series, plus you've written a few other novels that aren't in the series, and you've got some collections of short stories and all that. What interests me here is your use of music in these novels. Uh, I read a lot, and I've never read an author who for whom music is so important. And it's not only important in the titles of your novels, many of which are song titles or have been for a number of years, but also in the fact that your main character, Alan Banks, listens to a lot of music, and you mention the music in the stories. Obviously, you're very interested in music, but how did you get this idea to make music so important in these novels? Well, I think in the first place, I, I needed him to be something other than just a police officer, a detective who solves crimes. Um, so it was partly a matter of characterization. And, you know, giving him an interest like that was a way of getting going. I mean, in the first books, he he liked music, but there were other things he did. He collected things and whatever. That kind of fell by the wayside. But the music was the thing that stayed. And a lot of this is because of your love for music. Yeah, it would be very difficult to write in that way about it if, if, if I didn't love the music I wrote about. So, you know, I try and put things in that I think perhaps readers might go and check out and enjoy themselves. So what, what you've done is you've created a character that in part represents you. And I guess all authors do this, but most authors tend to try to hide it a lot. With you, the music is very, very upfront. As I said, the, the last, what is it, eight or 10 novels all have titles that come from songs. For instance, the latest novel is called When the Music's Over, and you even had a friend of the devil back in 2007 after the Grateful Dead song. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, it, you know, I, I think song titles are, are, are great for books, you know, almost as good as the Bible and Shakespeare. So you publish your books in the UK first. We're currently talking to you in Toronto, Canada. You grew up in Yorkshire and you moved to Canada and you're sort of bi-national. But you publish the books in the UK first. They're published in the US and in Canada. Yet some of them the titles get changed in the U.S. For instance, your 2014 Abattoir Blues, which is a Nick Cave song, was that it? Yeah, that's right. That got changed to a different title in the U.S. Yeah, In the Dark Places. That was sales and marketing. Uh, Americans don't know what an abattoir is, according to them. That's what I thought. In fact, I mentioned it to Doug before we started recording. Um, I knew he, what an abattoir was. Oh, good. Yeah. I learned uh, Brit speak as a kid because we watched stuff on TV like the Ian Carmichael, Lord Peter Wimsey series and Upstairs, Downstairs and Monty Python. So I consider myself pretty Anglo-literate. <laughs> <laughs> so I've known you for a while and I know your musical tastes. Alan Banks, your character, has your musical tastes and... I don't know. I'm just thinking back to, to some of them. He listens to The Grateful Dead and he listens to Miles Davis. He's into British folk music. He likes Mahler and Schubert and all that. That's a very broad range of musical taste. How, how has your musical interest developed over time? How, how have you gone from listening to rock and folk back in the day to classical music and jazz and all that? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's a matter of 
one thing you listen to leading to another. I mean, I, I really, I, the first music I ever remember hearing is Elvis Presley singing Heartbreak Hotel and Hound Dog. Uh, my aunt used to play when I was about seven or eight years old, and I loved it. Um, then, of course, were the late 50s, early 60s, all the Bobbies and Connies and whatever. And after that... Sorry, came, Bobbies and Connies? What are Bobbies and Connies? Well, there were all things that were called Bobby, Bobby Rydell, Bobby V, Bobby Vinci. Oh, Vinter. okay. I, I thought it was like it was going to be like the mods and the, the whatever things or whatever. No, no. No, it seemed like all the male singers were called Bob or Bobby uh, for a few years. Uh, then the Beatles, of course, and the Stones and the Who. And the, the, the 60s music, actually the Grateful Dead, in, in a way, were, were the band that led me towards classical and Miles Davis. Um, I knew a girl at the time who said, who only listened to classical music. And I said, okay, look, I'll listen to this Brook Violins concerto if you will listen to Dark Star. Uh, so it was like a trade. Um, I'm, I might have got the best of the deal, much as I love Dark Star, because it really got me interested in classical music. Um, then, of course, listening to dead improvisations uh, took me towards Coltrane and Miles Davis and Brooke and took me towards Beethoven and Schubert. And, you know, so, I mean, one thing led to another in a way. And I think that's how it happens in the books. I, in the first book, very first book, Banks is mostly opera. In the second, it's English choral music. In the third, it's blues and then they all start to get mixed up as the books go along. I'm just starting to read uh, Cold as the Grave, which is in the middle of the series. And early on in the book, Banks is packing for a weekend trip to Paris. And not only is he trying to make sure he's packing the right, uh, the right outerwear for every possible weather situation, he also wants to be prepared musically. So he brings along a, uh, a Lucinda Williams CD, a Dawn Upshaw CD, and a Cassandra Wilson CD. And those are three artists that, that couldn't be more diverse. Yeah, I guess those were the days before he had an iPod. So <laughs> right, I had to take exactly. Yeah, I, I seem to remember it's like 2006, 2007 when you got an iPod. And yeah. I remember you, yeah. you expressed to me how, how game-changing it was that you could have so much music on one device. Well, I mean, now Banks would just have to take his iPod. He wouldn't have to go through his collection and decide what CDs he wanted. Um, right. You know, to cover the various moods, Lucinda Williams, perhaps while you're traveling, uh, maybe Cassandra Wilson late at night with a glass of wine. So, you know, those were his sort of choices. Do, do you see these musical mentions in the book as a sort of a soundtrack? Because sometimes he's driving on a motorway and he puts on a particular piece of music. And as a reader, I can almost see this as a cinematic effect that this music, since I'm familiar with it, sets a mood for me. Actually, in some situations, I, I do that completely. I, I mean, I... I see the car going down the road with the music playing really loud, you know, as a sort of background music. Uh, unfortunately, this was something that was not uh, picked up in the TV series, where the use of music is, is minimal. What Would that perhaps... Um, so just to mention the TV series, for people who don't know, there's a, a British TV series produced by ITV called DCI Banks. I believe it's in the fourth season. Is that correct? They just finished the fifth. I'm guessing that for a TV series like that, they would have rights issues to pay to be able to play this music rather than to just have music that they've had composed for the series. Yeah, that's the problem. And, and it's even more of a problem because it's ITV. Apparently, BBC have got the rights to any music they want anytime, um, but ITV don't. 
So it, we, because BBC is a not-for-profit organization, perhaps. Yeah, they, they, I mean, they've just it might be different. Built up this this relationship with, you know, the music people over the years. ITV uh, would have to pay. Yeah, and, and I know that there are some artists who refuse to let their music be used in movies or TV shows. I know Dylan generally does not allow anyone to use his songs for anything like that. Well, I mean, he's he's very picky. I mean, he says sometimes he will. He did something for True Detective. Um, you know, so he'll occasionally, you know, al- allow people to do it. But but you're right, it's it's very rare with Dylan. So I'm, I'm just thinking even even of the opera, for example. I mean, there must be enough opera recordings that, that are out of copyright or don't cost a huge amount to, to put in the background. Chamber music. I mean, we, they, they did have some Miles Davis in one of the TV series. Well, there could be Miles Davis. It was recorded more than 50 years ago, which makes it fair game in Europe. Uh-huh. But then when it goes to the States, it might be different. We, we want to do a show about music licensing at some point because this is very complicated and it does affect the way TV series and movies can be um, moved from one country to another. Just as an aside, Bob Dylan gave authorization for some sort of a a musical play that's in London next year called Girl from the North Country. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be at the Old Vic, and tickets aren't on sale to non-members yet, and I'm hoping to get tickets to see that. I'm not really sure what it is, but apparently it's a bunch of his songs, and I don't know if they're played as soundtracks with something going on or if there are people singing them, um, but this is the first time I believe that he's done this. Um, I, I mention it because, as everyone who listens to the show knows, I'm a Bob Dylan fan, and I know that Peter is a Bob Dylan fan as well. So it sounds like something worth seeing. Do a lot of your readers appreciate the use of music in the novels? I know that on your website there are actually some Spotify playlists, and you make playlists which are just lists of the songs and, and albums for for people to find. How much do readers, you know, when you meet readers on tour and all this, how much do they appreciate the music in the books? Well, I think most of the feedback is is positive. You know, I, I far more people come to me and say, "Oh." I love the music in the books. I, that's how I discovered Cassandra Wilson or Lucinda Williams or you know people I'd n- never heard of before, and now I really like this music. Um, but occasionally people will come up and say, uh, you know, I wish you wouldn't write so much about what he eats and drinks and listens to in the <laughs> books. You know, get on with the story. But, uh, you know, my news for them is that I'm going to keep on doing it because I like it and most other people like it. Well, I've been getting a kick out of it, and I think it's a neat way to bring a lot of depth to the character or, or a situation. And it's fun. Yeah. I mean, that that's one thing about it. I mean, and, and from my point of view, it, it really is fun to do. I mean, it's fun to, to figure out, OK, now what's going to be the background music in this scene? You know, what's going to work best? So you have been using song titles pretty much for the past 10 years for the titles of your novels. Do you choose these songs because it's the particular songs that speak to you or the titles themselves that speak to you? It's more the titles themselves. I mean, in many cases, the song doesn't really feature in the book. Certainly when the music's over, you know, is, is not, in, not in the story. Nobody listens to it or mentions it. But the phrase, when the music's over, and the implied turn out the lights uh, comes up a couple of times and I think links the two cases in a way through the title. So that, you know, that happens quite often. And can you tell us the title of your forthcoming novel or is that a secret? No, it's called Sleeping in the Ground. Doug, do you know that song? I don't, but I get the feeling that you think I should or that I will. Peter, can you tell us? Because Peter mentioned this to me a couple months ago, and I had never heard of it, and I had to look it up, and there's actually a backstory to this. Well, it's uh, it's an old blues song, but um, how I got to know it was through Blind Faith. 
I went to their concert in Hyde Park in 1969. I think it was the only concert that, that they ever actually played. And they put one album out, uh, and it wasn't on the album, but then they did, you know, an expanded version. And it was on there both as a regular short track and as a long jam. Um, and the title just kind of stuck in my mind, you know, when I was looking for a title that, again, wanted to, to imply that there was something in the past that would come into the present and there was death and murder. Sleeping in the ground sounded like a good title. Oh, yeah, it's perfect. It's a great title for a mystery. It's just full of, uh, you know, it's just got all these sort of connotations about it. You know, is someone sleeping? Are they dead in the ground? Buried alive, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yes. So your musical taste, and you just mentioned you saw Blind Faith in 1969. I, I think you saw The Grateful Dead in 72? Um, yeah. Where did you see them? That was, that was a London concert. Um, well, I think it was Wembley Pool in London, wasn't it? I think it was Wembley, yeah. Um, I saw Dylan at the Isle of Wight in 69. Yeah. Wow. And but I pretty much saw every band that I wanted to see between about 1967 and 1973. Um, the only one I didn't see was the Beatles. And I, I could have seen them when they came to Leeds, but there were too many screaming girls going for tickets. And you know, I heard you, you couldn't hear them anyway. Um so, yeah, and um, Elvis Presley. I, I never saw Elvis. And I had a chance when I first came to Canada. I was living in Windsor, Ontario, and he played a concert at Pontiac Stadium in Detroit. This would be 75, around then. And I could have gone, but I was not into Elvis then. I don't think a lot of people were. I mean, there were enough Elvis impersonators who were, but that was like, that <laughs> that was Elvis impersonating Elvis at that time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He's still one of my favorites. I mean, I, I, do, I do still love Elvis, but... Uh, yeah, it was a it was a bad time. I mean, he was not at his best. Yeah. So again, you've got this wide range of music in in the novels. You've got a wide range of musical tastes. I know that one thing you really like is is English folk music. Yeah, I mean, I've had a strong connection with that over the years. I used to go to folk clubs in the late sixties, and yeah, I read poetry there quite often. Um, got to know quite a few folk singers, and even recently, I've, I've done some shows with. Martin Carthy and Eliza Carthy mixing short story with songs, music in the background. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a long and interesting kind of relationship. Yeah. Can, can you tell us about the, the performances with Martin Carthy? I attended one of these in York in 2013, and it was very interesting. You were reading a story, and he was sort of improvising on acoustic guitar. How did this project come together? Well, we, we, we talked about it through, his agent put us in touch and, and, and we talked about doing a show and instead of doing one of the stories that I'd already written, I thought it would be a great idea to write a, a story specially for it. Um, so it's called Enchantress, but it's, it's based on a song that's known to most people as Matty Groves, Fairport Convention uh, did years ago. Uh, and, and, it, and it tells a story about you know, an affair and a murder. So it, it is quite appropriate. So I, I updated it a bit, changed the period, changed the characters. And Martin opened the show with the original song. Then I'd go into the story. And at various points, I would pause and he would sing a song that related to what had happened. Uh, at one point, I mentioned the First World War and, and he, he was playing the Battle of the Somme gently underneath the words um so you know it, it worked i think in every way 
with the actual songs and with the music in the background occasionally. It was a great experience. We did it about three or four times. And I'd like to write another one, you know, perhaps based on another folk song and, and go at it again. Were they recorded by any chance? Um, I do have a recording of, I think, the first time we did it. Um, but, you know, it's just an amateur recording. There's never a professional recording done. Gee, because it sounds like it would be fun to see. Yeah, it, it was it was really interesting because in, in York, this was at the, what do they call it, the Center for Early Music, which is some old church that's reconverted into a performance space. Yeah. And really wonderful resonance with the, the church, the stone ceilings and all that. It would have been nice to have a recording of this. Yeah, well, You'll just have to do another one and this time get it recorded professionally. Hey, you can put it on, you know, Apple Music and Spotify. Why not? Hey, that's right. <laughs> So for someone with your broad musical taste, do you use Apple Music and Spotify? Do you stream music at all? Um, I use Apple Music and stream a little bit. I, Spotify is a bit difficult in Canada. Uh, I can use that when I'm over in England. But again, you know, it's what you were talking about earlier, the licensing rules and things. Um, but yeah I, did, yeah, I do use Apple Music. So how do you like it? Do you, do you use it to find new music or do you use it to just play old music that you don't have on CD or on, on download? Both, really. You know, I, I, I listen to some of the jazz playlists and I listen to stuff that's, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I might be interested in, that I might want to buy. Uh, but, I, you know, when it comes down to it, I still like CDs. You know, I still like to buy the CD. Um, or I, I do buy buy from iTunes as well. I mean, that's that gives you the instant gratification. Yeah. You know, have it right now. Yeah. We're, we're, we're dinosaurs, us people who want CDs as opposed to digital <laughs> stuff. I know. And I, I buy the whole album, not just tracks. I don't just buy songs. You know, even if I haven't heard it, I want the whole album. Yeah. It's because it's, well, you know, this is changing. My son is, is 26 and he's he listens to songs, he likes albums, but it doesn't matter to him that much. Yeah. You know, we grew up with LPs and then maybe cassette tapes and then CDs. So for us, it's the package that's important. And, and this actually goes back to the very first episode of the show where we talked about songs and albums and all that. And so songs used to be important. When you were young, you bought singles, you didn't buy albums. Yeah. And then you started buying albums and now people are buying singles again. So it's, it's a big change in the way music is consumed. I mean, it was things like, Astral Weeks and Love Forever Changes, um, D Dylan Blood on the Tracks, uh, even John Wesley Hardin. That it's hard to imagine just taking a song out. I mean, I know things stand out like All Along the Watchtower and various others, but I mean, they were, as, as, as an album, they were a whole unit to me always. Yeah. Well, you know, any the 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 key Pink Floyd albums or um, yeah. King Crimson, yes, groups like that. It would these were more album oriented recordings. Yeah. yeah. Um, how, how does DCI Banks feel about this? But he's not DCI anymore. He got a promotion. <laughs> Superintendent, yeah. Superintendent. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, <laughs> spoiler alert, will you? Oh, it's, 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 it's not a real surprise. The, the, the problem with that is that there's no real abbreviation for it. DS is Detective Sergeant. So, you know, it's debt supped, which is not very good in a book. Yeah. Or, or just gov, No. Yeah, yeah, just gov will do. I mean, DCI was easy, but uh, superintendent's a little harder. Th this makes it a little bit confusing for the TV series. Yeah. Because yeah. They're, they're not going to change the name, so he'll never get a promotion in the TV series. Or even the book series. I mean, they, they always write DCI banks across the bottom. That's true. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I mean, no, he, he certainly feels the same way about, you know, 
whole albums rather than tracks. No doubt about that. So in your next book, you have a title and I assume you've already started writing. Do do you make a playlist before you start writing or you said earlier you like to imagine how a song will sound for a particular scene. Does your music in the novels grow organically as you're writing or is this something you set down on paper or someplace beforehand? That usually comes when I get to the scene, you know, depending on what's happening in the scene. If there's a if there's an opening for music or a need for music sometimes, um, then I'll start to try and determine what that music should be. But but I don't pre-program it. So you don't, do you try to keep a balance of different genres? I mean, does, is one more prominent than another or do you try to keep that in check? It, w- it would be interesting to actually look at some of the books and work that out, like how much rock compared to jazz or yeah. chamber music there is. And it may have some, you know, it may have something with the um, the mood of the book as a whole you, know, you might say oh this book's got a lot of you know quiet schubert rather sad rather tragic late schubert so maybe that's the tone of the book um others may have more led zeppelin does the music you choose also just represent what you happen to be listening to at the time so if you're in a schubert mood for i don't know it's winter in toronto and it's cold and you're listening to schubert a lot does that come through into the novel some of it does, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I do, first of all, when I'm looking for music, look for the stuff that I've bought and been listening to a lot recently. Um, and that may take me elsewhere, but but that's that's what I start with, you know, the newest things in, in my collection anyway. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So so that's similar to the, the segment that we used to close this podcast, which is our next tracks, where we each pick a track of music that we've been listening to lately. We're not going to ask you to do that, but what have you been listening to lately that we might see in the next novel? Well, I've, you know, I've, I've been listening to some old stuff. I, um, I, I, I just got a couple of old Bruce Springsteen albums to fill in my collection, and I realize Banks hasn't done much listening to Springsteen, and he probably should. Um couple of old Joe, well, the first couple of Joe Cocker albums when he was really good, um, which again, I used, to, I had on vinyl, but seemed to have disappeared somewhere. And mm-hmm. classical, I, yeah, I mean, I've been listening to Schubert as, as usual. Um, I've also been been listening to a little Joyce Di Donato, again, Joyce Di Donato. The opera singer. Yeah, the opera yeah, singer. Joyce Di Donato. Yeah. Di Donato. She did a, a podcast, uh, she was on Desert Island Discs few weeks ago and i found that interesting so you know i went to to listen to some of her stuff it's it's odd the way that you get you know to something but i mean the joe cocker i, I just heard a a little few bars of, of uh, bye bye blackbird in a tv program and it just took me right back and i remembered how good the album was so i had to go and order it right away okay peter thanks for joining us remind us of the title of the next novel Sleeping in the Ground. Sleeping in the Ground, and that's going to be out in August. So currently, the latest novel is When the Music's Over. It's the DCI Bank series. And thanks for joining us, Peter. Thank you. As Kirk mentioned, we like to end every episode with our next track picks, the music that we'll be listening to. Kirk, what's your next track? My next track this week is a six-CD box set by Bill Evans, by the Bill Evans trio, technically. It's called Turn Out the Stars, the Final Village Vanguard Recordings. It was recorded in June 1980, and it wasn't released until 1996. And I remember the first time I heard this in a record store on on a listening post where they had the CD and a couple of headphones and I put it on and I thought how come I had never heard of this guy before Bill Evans is sort of summing up his career 
playing songs that he wrote and standards. There's something about Bill Evans' piano playing that just grabs me every time. He has this extraordinary phrasing and, and dynamics and all that. And he works so well with his uh, the other musicians in the trio, Mark Johnson and Joe LaBarbera. When you listen to this music, some of it can sound a bit schmaltzy when he does a theme from MASH, for instance. And My Romance, the Rogers and Hart songs and things like that. But there's just something incredibly professional about Bill Evans, about the music he played. And he was in a very bad state at this time in the summer of 1980. He was addicted to numerous drugs. And I believe he died of some serious inner organ infection or something. He he didn't go out very well. But there's something about the summer of 1980, this and a couple of other box sets that were released a few years later, where his recording was just nearly perfect in every performance. It's called Turn Out the Stars, Final Village Vanguard Recordings by Bill Evans. If you know Bill Evans' music and you don't know this, you have to hear this. If you don't know Bill Evans, this is a great introduction to his extraordinary piano playing. What about you, Doug? What's your next track this week? Well, not to be morbid, but for the second week in a row, I'm picking something by a recently expired piano player. Leon Russell passed away in early November, and I was a huge fan of Leon in the 70s. He not only wrote and recorded his own music, he played and recorded with a lot of people, including the Rolling Stones, Delaney and Bonnie, uh, Dave Mason, Joe Cocker, George Harrison, Bob Dylan. He was part of the Wrecking Crew for a while. That's the studio band that seemingly was on every pop song in the 1960s. Anyway, my pick is Leon Russell and the Shelter People, which was an album uh, that was uh, recorded in various places with various musicians and released in 1971. With the exception of a couple of ballads, which I'm not really wild about, it's a pretty entertaining mix of Leon's distinctive honky-tonk piano playing and about his vocals, I think it was Rolling Stone that said, if you wanted to sound like Leon Russell, stick a sock in your mouth. Um, his Oklahoma drawl pretty much permeated his vocal technique, but I think even Mick Jagger learned a little about phrasing from Leon. So if you get a chance, give it a listen. Leon Russell and the Shelter People is my next track. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.